Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortallaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point happening now right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's Wednesday. It's August 9th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortelaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll make room for you and your voice. 602-260-1060 is the number 1115 if you'd like to chime in. But as we typically do to get things going in hour two let's reset the scene with today's poll questions and their win-loss totals here for teams that we previewed bob had a conversation with george wallace from wtop about the washington commanders here's the kdos1060.com poll question over under seven and a half wins for the commanders and under continues to lead the way here at 53 percent of the vote over sitting at 47 percent by comparison, uh, they were eight, eight, and one last year. Uh, the Commanders were, I believe, did they tie the Eagles last year? Like, uh, they tied somebody last year, eight, eight, and one. Uh, so there's that. Uh, I would assume that this is going to come down this year to whether their offensive line uh, can provide some protection for Sam Howell, the new starting quarterback, who I actually like. Liked him a lot at UNC, especially when he had weapons at UNC. Thought it was really unfair his last year at UNC because he lost two guys to the NFL as far as wide receivers and a couple of running backs also went to the NFL. Uh, But uh, their offensive line clearly, I think, is their team weakness. If they can just be okay in that uh, area, I think that they have a chance to, to go over the total. I'm trying, I guess I've got like a half hour here to decide whether I think they could do that or not. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, I think that they've got some defensive studs. It'd be nice if Chase Young played like a defensive stud and stayed healthy. And when he does play, he plays at the level that he did early in his rookie year, which when he's been on the field uh, and since then, which hasn't been that often, uh, he has uh, not come close to the level of play that we first saw when he entered the NFL. Uh, the also the commander's tie last season was with the Giants in that riveting December contest. Yeah. Okay, I somehow forgot that they beat the Eagles then, right? They beat them on uh, like a Thursday night or a Monday night or some night. Uh, yes, they did. Yeah. Yeah. So they 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 actually have kind of a weird thing. They don't beat the Giants very often, but they do beat the Eagles. Uh, which is just kind of a weird matchup thing, I guess, or there's gotta be some kind of fluky luck going on there or the Eagles just kind of go, Hey, we're playing the Washington football team this week and we'll kick their ass. And sometimes they have it. Uh, we'll answer that question around 1130. Bob going to figure out if he's going over or under on that <laughs> question. Uh, we'll see if he has a little bit more conviction with the 2023 Atlanta Falcons. We had a conversation with Josh Kendall from The Athletic talking about the Falcons. If you missed it, you can always podcast KDOS1060.com as well as the KDOS1060 app on Twitter at KDOSAM1060. Over seven and a half wins or under seven and a half wins and the masses are in a 50-50 split. 
I think this just comes down to Desmond Ritter. I mean, he does have really good offense. I mean, you put the, the, the Atlanta offensive line in Washington, and they're actually really good. <laughs> and maybe, uh, you know, worst third best in the division. if they're. But unfortunately, Washington does not have the Atlanta offensive line. So can Desmond Ritter accurately throw a football? And I've got some doubts about that. And he's got plenty of weapons when he does, uh, including now B. John Robinson, who's going to be a huge part of the passing game in addition to running the ball. Uh, I did find it interesting uh, in the last hour, I think we got some hints that uh, maybe Algier, who had like a 1,000 yards in one game against ASU a few years ago when he was at BYU, uh, he had a little less than 1,000, but didn't seem like it at the time. Uh, Algier might actually lead them in carries, but you know, Bijan's going to get plenty of touches and rolls, and he's such a good receiver that you would think that that's going to be a big part of their offense is figure out how to get him the ball in space. We'll answer that question around 1130, so still time for you to cast your vote over on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. As I already mentioned, 1115-602-260-1060 is the number. But let's uh, dive into the Arizona Cardinals as they were back at it yesterday from State Farm Stadium, and let's hear Aaron Decker's training camp report. The Arizona Cardinals training camp is nearing its end, but with two practices left before camp comes to a close, the team came out on Tuesday and had a pretty chippy practice. Throughout 11-on-11s, a few offensive linemen and defensive players got into a scuffle. Center Yelda Froholt was one of the players involved, and after practice, he said that the intensity is part of camp and that the players do a good job of not taking it personally. But back to the practice, running back Marlon Mack had to be helped off the field after reaching out for a catch thrown behind him during 7-on-7. Mack reached for his ankle following the play before being assisted by trainers. Mack has been with the Cardinals for less than a week after signing with the team during camp. During the practices, though, several players stood out, including outside linebacker Jesse Lucetta, who is getting some first-team reps and has looked powerful in his opportunities. Defensive coordinator Nick Rollis said Lucetta brings violence to his defense. Cornerback Antonio Hamilton has been getting a large portion of reps with the second team, despite being named the number two cornerback on the early preseason depth chart. He had a good day, earning an interception during 11-on-11s. The Cardinals training camp will come to a close following Wednesday's practice, and then they will wait to play the Denver Broncos on Friday night. I'm Aaron Decker from the Arizona Cardinals training camp. So obviously there, Marlon Mack being helped off the field. Bob McManaman of the Arizona Republic reporting that he saw Mack leave the stadium Tuesday in a walking boot. Unclear as to how serious a walking boot is, uh, what exactly the situation is there for Marlon Mack. But we'll have to monitor uh, the updates there from Jonathan Gannon. Yeah, that's true. And, yeah, the Ingram situation, yeah, Ingram, I, I assume he was out there yesterday. He did return to practice on Monday and you know, you know, as I mentioned yesterday uh, during the sports zone, you know, Ingram, I think he might be on a little shaky ground here. He needs to impress the new, you know, you know administration here. Remember, you know, he was drafted by Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury was still the coach and so forth. And while I thought he actually showed some interesting skills in his collegiate career, whether it be at Texas or USC, and uh, last year when he got a chance in some preseason games and a little bit of a run during the regular season, uh, I think that uh, he kind of needs to, uh, I would assume, uh, you know, kind of reestablish himself with, the, with uh, the new coaching staff and the new general manager. 
Uh, when it did come to Drew Petting, the offensive coordinator, meeting the media before practice took place, Petting was asked about how wide open the running back room is behind Connor. Uh, and he did say here, I think a lot of that is going to come down to some of these game reps. It's hard at times when you're not tackling at that position. So I'm excited to see these guys carry the ball and go compete. Uh, definitely agree with that. When you're not when you're not tackling and kind of seeing if you're able to uh, take take and carry some contact with you, how you are at bouncing off of contact or avoiding contact, et cetera. So certainly that game speed, it is unfortunate that this Marlon Mack injury comes when it does, but how often do we see things like this happen where a player is coming off of the street? Maybe they're trying to do a little bit too much and uh, an injury then takes place uh, as maybe they're not ramped up as, as much as they should be, et cetera. I'm just speculating here, but we do kind of see it from time to time in these different camp scenarios yeah i'll buy that even though i don't really know how these guys can stay in you know you know football condition and i i meant that term purposely because it's not just you know the cardiovascular type of thing i mean you you know even though they're not i think that was an excellent uh you know point that aaron mentioned there during the update you know there is like no tackling in this i know that they're in pads and whatever I think the only thing that really you can get out of that as far as the pads go is when they have the defensive line against the offensive line drills. Uh, but, you know, if somebody you know, hits the ground in one of these practices in training camp, it's a mistake. Uh, you know, somebody wasn't really supposed to hit somebody very hard. I mean, it's just basically as soon as you have a defensive player that gets within tackling distance, the whistle blows either from – you know, the coaching staff or, you know, if they have officials that particular day, and I believe the Cardinals have, you know, some form of fit, not all NFL officials every day, but somebody's out there that has an officiating background, you know, taking care of that part. But, you know, so there's, you know, there's not a whole lot of, if, like I said, if somebody hits the ground, it's usually a mistake. So I think it's difficult for, you know, we've got a lot of running backs that are out in the market still, and uh, these guys are working out and, I think it's, uh, you know, I don't know how they can really prove what they've got because all the other circumstances around them are kind of against them. When it comes to Friday here, at least from Drew Petting, he was asked what do they want to accomplish Friday. Uh, he said changes each week depending on who is healthy. A lot of it is knocking the rust off, getting comfortable in game day operations, communication in and out of the huddle. Also, he goes on to say that the focus for Friday's game is about us. It's about technique. It's about fundamentals. It's about doing the simple things well, and then we'll let the scheme take care of themselves when we approach the season. I'm also, I don't know, maybe I missed it, but I'm guessing that Colt McCoy's not going to be starting uh, you know, and play a lot in the preseason because they can't afford him to go down with Kyler Murray not starting the regular season. Yeah, there was a lot of questions uh, in that Q&A with Petsing about what uh, the hope is there for Toon and the opportunity that he has to play in a little bit of a faster environment and against somebody else. That's another thing that Petsing brought up and was asked about the different rotations that we're seeing on the offensive line and figuring out what is kind of going to be uh, the starting unit moving forward, but that it's they're looking forward to playing against a defensive line that's not the same as their defensive line because uh, there's different moves, there's different kind of patterns of moves that you have and going up against somebody different is going to be good to see how that offensive line reacts to it.
Yeah, I understand the thought process there, but uh, the defensive front of the Denver Broncos is a whole lot better than the defensive front that they're seeing every day in practice from the Cardinals. Uh, yeah, that that's definitely true. As uh, Aaron mentioned, Jesse Lucchetta getting uh, some, pl- some play in the first reps on the outside linebacker yeah. role uh, opposite of Zayvon Collins, so there's still a work in progress there. Yeah, I've seen enough of him. I don't think he's an NFL starting player. Uh, Laketa. Uh, I'm hoping Ojalari, who was uh, activated from the pup list on Monday, uh, I would, uh, if he's any good, I mean, he was really good at LSU. I'm hoping that he's going to be an edge rusher. If he doesn't start the season with the first unit, he will be quickly because I actually think he's a guy that can actually be an impact player once I'm going based on his college career, but he did play at LSU and in the SEC and was really good. Uh, for a couple different coaching staffs, he was really good, including last year under Kelly and uh, the new regime in, in Baton Rouge. So I think that guy's actually got a chance to be a good NFL player. So hopefully he'll be healthy enough and continue uh, uh, to show some progress here or show some progress. I don't think he's really had much, you know, like he's been on pup, pup list. He's been off that for two days so far. Uh, so far. But uh, and I don't know if they even really did anything on Monday. I don't think they did anything physical on Monday. Uh, so we'll see. But that that guy's got a chance. Um, you know, I would uh, I think of all the edge rushers they have uh, that we've uh, you know seen them try and the uh, current uh, you know configuration of this team. He has the chin, I think he has the big best chance of becoming a good player in the NFL. Uh, he, I was very excited that the Cardinals drafted him so happy to see him activated and, and get assimilated into what they want to do do you think just from your time in covering the NFL and different teams that if you are a young player who has missed time to start camp um, due to injury that it's easier to get acclimated back into everything if you're on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball or it doesn't well, matter question no, I think it does matter. I mean, it was really. I think it'd be very difficult for offensive linemen uh, to do that. Uh, I think it's easier, especially for an edge rusher like uh, you know, like we're talking here. That uh, you know, Jalari is you know his you know at least in college his game was go get the quarterback, <laughs> and I, I think you can do that. Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of uh, you, know, you know learning involved the defense, etc. or scheme wise. Just go get that dude uh, that got the snap from center. I'm also thinking, too, that Trey McBride has missed a ton of time on the offensive side of the ball at tight end and, you know, learning a new new offensive system, learning a new maybe there's some different uh, things that they want him to do in terms of whether or not they want tight ends to chip, whether they don't, how, how they're going to scheme things up. Uh, so certainly I was kind of thinking about all of the different young players that have been missing some key amounts of time and just maybe it's maybe the question was better, not offense versus defense. It was more sp- uh, position specific as to what is easier to get back and, and assimilated into the, the game flow. I agree with that. And there's, you know, if people are involved in fantasy football, uh, a lot of people are reluctant to draft tight ends that are rookies because that seems to be a very difficult adjustment uh, from the college game to the NFL game. And really, McBride did play some towards the end of last season, but he didn't have like a full 16 games by any stretch or, you know, full reps, et cetera. 
So the fact that he didn't play all the time or close to it last year and the fact that he's missed time this year in camp because of injury, that can't be a good combination. We'll get into more about the Arizona Cardinals as the week progresses and game number one in the preseason is Friday as they are hosting the Denver Broncos. Your turn, though, if you'd like to chime in, 602-260-1060 is the number, 602-260-1060. Did you watch Hard Knocks with the New York Jets yesterday? Bob, you definitely did, so we'll get your takeaways from uh, the Hard Knocks edition. Plus, what is this, 12 years of Hard Knocks? and you've watched every single hard knocks there is? I've watched them all, the, pre, the preseason ones. Uh, the only one that I've watched during the, you know, the, during the season that they do, like in what, this November, December, that was the Cardinals last year, and you know, I had to watch that. <laughs> and I kind of <laughs> wish I hadn't. <laughs> we'll get into hard knocks. We'll get into some other uh, college football discussion as well. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. Tune in weekdays to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp from 9 to 10 a.m. on KTUS AM 1060, KTUS1060.com, and with the KTUS 1060 app. Eleven twenty-four, right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by SuperBook Sports. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 602-260-1060. That's the number if you'd like to join the program. We'll take your calls now, but let's first get an opinion here on Hard Knocks uh, following the New York Jets. If I kind of remember correctly in the offseason, no one really wanted to be on Hard Knocks, and certainly the Jets didn't want it, and they got it anyway. And, of course, they were going to get it with the addition of Aaron Rodgers so I'd have to imagine episode one there was a lot of following Aaron Rodgers around probably fan reaction uh, thinking that uh, all their problems have been solved good guesses except for that last thing I don't know if all their problems have been solved but uh, the opening episode actually started with Joe Namath jogging off the field with the Jets only championship after they won the Super Bowl against the heavily favored Colts. That was in 1969. A uh, very famous highlight of him jogging off the field, etc. That's how they started it, which I thought was a good start. Uh, that highlight went right into the Aaron Rodgers introductory press conference, and uh, that was followed by uh, basically uh, the, the Jets following him jogging onto the practice field, basically, uh, for I don't know if that was the very first practice, but one of them. And yeah, I think I've watched, I'm, I'm certain I've watched every Hard Knocks episode of Training Camp, the Training Camp editions. I don't remember any episode I've ever watched where there was, uh, there was dominated so much by one person, which I guess is to be expected. Maybe hopefully that's not going to be the case for five weeks, but uh, it certainly was the case last night. This was, uh, yeah, it's called Hard Knocks with the New York Jets. Last night it was Hard Knocks with Aaron Rodgers, basically. Um, also, the last time that the Jets were on Hard Knocks, the then head coach Rex Ryan, uh, I think he established an HBO record for using F-bombs. 
Uh, based on last night's show, Robert Sala and his coaching staff might actually shatter the record that Rex Ryan had uh, several years ago. I mean, it took literally less than 30 seconds before the first one. Uh, so it was a little nuts there. And I'm not offended by foul language. Uh, but I'm guessing that some people, well, first up, if you don't know that ahead of time, they, they do the little disclaimer thing that the start, you know, could be, uh, you know, whatever they call that thing at the start of a, a television thing or a movie or whatever. They kind of give you a warning. So they kind of did that last night. But even I was a little taken back a little bit by several assistant coaches and Sala, uh, or uh, you know, they have an interesting uh, vocabulary. Uh, also, uh, about the only other noteworthy things I got from last night, quite frankly, uh, were uh, you know the relationship between Rodgers and offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. That was covered. Obviously, they covered the Sean Payton comments about Hackett, and uh, yeah, and uh, you know, you know, like I said, hopefully, week five of yeah, uh, you know, during this five-week stretch of training camp, we'll see a lot more of Sauce Gardner against Garrett Wilson. Uh, that was a uh, you know, part of last night, the, you know, their one-on-one -on -one battle and practice and so forth. That kind of reminded me, uh, Gardner versus Wilson, uh, cornerback, you know, top-flight cornerback, top-flight top wide receiver. Kind of reminded me of Larry Fitzgerald and Patrick Peterson in several Cardinals training camps, and that was a big deal back in, uh, you, know, you know, 10 years ago or so. Uh, when Peterson first came into the league and uh, Larry was still good. And uh, that, that was actually like the highlight of some of the training camp practices for me for the Cardinals back in those days. Yeah, I'd have to imagine that uh, Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner going up against each other every day in practice is certainly um, a great battle for the two of them to really hone their skills and go up against others in the league uh, after going up against each other in practice. The other thing that caught my attention, I didn't watch it, but just the reaction is that Robert Sala's opening uh, monologue. And it was weird. <laughs> Strange. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this whole, did you know that the only bird, the only bird yeah. in the world that will attack an yeah. eagle is a crow? Uh, he yeah. goes on to say that it will perch on the eagle's back and peck at its neck. So rather than fight back and tearing the crow to pieces like it can, the eagle spreads its wings and it soars as high as it possibly can. It keeps going and going, going as high as it can. The higher the eagle flies, the harder it is for the crow to breathe. Eventually, the crow suffocates, falls back down to earth, and dies. <laughs> I'm like shaking my head at this point. Like, what the hell is going on here? And then you know, I was looking over my other television watching Brandon Fott give up line drive after line drive. <laughs> uh, so we'll continue to have Bob's recaps about uh, hard knocks with the Jets and if we glean anything else from uh, little insights, et cetera, about watching the episodes. I wanted to continue with the football discussion, but tr translated over into college football because Chip Kelly was asked about it. And uh, his take on things with all the conference realignment is that he would like to eliminate conferences in college football. And I want to read off a few of the quotes that he had in the article that I was reading it from. Uh, Chip Kelly here says, I think there should be 64 teams and we should have no conferences. It should be one conference, but no one asked my opinion. So I'm going to get ready for practice today. 
play. But then there's more opinion. Notre Dame is an independent in football. He's, ne- he's never short on those. <laughs> uh, Notre Dame is an independent in football, but they're in a conference for everything else. Why aren't we all independent for football? Take Power Five, make that one division. Take the Group of Five, make that another division. We play for a championship. They play for a championship. No one gets affected. Goes on to say, our sport's different from everybody else. We only play once a week. Travel's not a big deal for football, but it is a big deal for other sports. Uh, do you think Chip Kelly is on to something here? He it, it might make some sense, but it's not like it's ever going to happen. Well, I shouldn't say ever. I mean, look what's happened in the last like year and then like five days here. Uh, so maybe, but uh, I would be surprised if the Big Ten or the SEC ever relented and you know, they're in positions where they don't have to. And you know, I'm sure um, – and I, I'm saying this with conviction, and it, you know, maybe I'm going to be wrong about this, but I'm sure there will be a Big 12 channel here soon. Uh, you know, right now, ESPN already offers uh, on their ESPN Plus package some of their basket, you know, premier basketball games of the year, which you couldn't watch unless you had ESPN Plus even last year. So I'm guessing that ESPN is already in the works to try to do something as far as the Big 12 goes with all the additional members now not just from the pac-12 remember they had some aac teams from last year including houston which seems to be god forbid a good geographical fit in this day and age of college football i think the most there were a lot of stuff going on yesterday about realignment and so forth and you know you know the acc supposedly thinking about cal stanford and smu and then san diego state tried to create this power five conference with you know the remaining Pac-12 teams, the Western uh, Mountain West teams, and then you know some AAC teams that are still around. That didn't work out. Apparently, they you know, that would have, you know, like I said, I didn't really die, read details of that story. I just kind of read the first two or three paragraphs. So that was going on. But I think the most important thing that I saw or heard yesterday was from SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, who obviously has an, a tremendous amount of power because he's the SEC Commissioner. Uh, he did mention yesterday that he's calling for the 12-team CFP format to be changed because of all the Pac-12 defections in the last week. Uh, yeah, the ACC SMU. Did I also read that correctly, that SMU would be willing to enter with like a very little distribution of money for a while until things uh they were able to renegotiate or was uh i i don't know what i was reading but i thought that that's what i said that like uh the way that smu has all the boosters that they have that they would be able to absorb some of those costs to get themselves back into a conference like the acc yeah i haven't read that part actually to be honest but it wouldn't surprise me because you know they're in dallas and they do have a tremendous alumni base, and uh, you know they've uh, tried to fancy themselves as a big-time program, and for whatever reason, have fallen short a couple of times. They, yeah, they tried. Uh, they they paid a lot of coaches, uh, basketball and and football-wise, and maybe they didn't pay the right coaches in some cases, but uh, they've tried, and I don't think that's going to change now. Speculating about what's going to happen has certainly been a wild ride when it comes to conference realignment and certainly the um, 
dissolvement of the Pac-12 in the last two weeks. But I would have to think here that uh, the Mountain West seems to have a little bit more competent leadership and that some of those schools may be a little bit trepidatious about moving to the Pac-12, that instead the Mountain West would prefer expansion and trying to get Oregon State and Washington State. Yeah, once again, I might be speaking out of turn here. I think Mountain West, the Mountain West just changed their commissioner in the last year or two, uh, and maybe even like within the last few months. So I don't know about uh, you know what their leadership situation is now, uh, but uh, they've actually had some you know ESPN Plus games in the last you know handful of years here. To they can they have something that's like called the Mountain West Network, which like. You know, three people in America actually have access to apparently, but uh, so you know, like I said, I'm not exactly. I have no idea uh, what uh, you know they have in mind, and and like I mentioned, I'm fairly certain that they have changed their you know hierarchy, their leadership in the last uh, you know few months or years, couple years. Coming from things from a player standpoint, uh, you know, just kind of thinking a little bit about the Oregon State players on the the football team or the Washington State players on their football team, thinking, you know, that they were, you know, not, uh, you know, at their level, their caliber, but they're still playing in the Pac-12 conference. And uh, the things that they, you know, especially in Oregon State with a Jonathan Smith and kind of the, the rise of that program under his leadership. And now it's everything has just kind of been upended here. It's interesting for some of those players to now say, well, is this still a place that I want to be? What were some of the things that were most important to them for why they chose a school? Was it the coaching staff? Was it the conference? Was it the comp? Competition because in football, you know, it's all about then putting things on tape to to get it in front of scouts to have the opportunity to then be looked at combine draft. Uh, so there's just a lot of interesting things here when it comes to those particular schools and then how those coaching staffs uh, try to keep some of the players that maybe were bigger fish going to a smaller pond type type deal. Yeah, and I actually think especially Oregon State, uh, you know, I think that they have a legitimate chance to win the Pac-12 this year. They have, uh, by far, the best offensive line, at least returning offensive line if they stay healthy in the conference. And I think you make a pretty good case that they have one of the best returning offensive lines in the country. They've also got some difference makers on the defensive side of the ball. They've got DJ uh, from Clemson, now their quarterback. And, you know, if that's DJ from, like, two years ago, that could really work out well. Uh, you know, Smith's a good quarterback's coach for sure. It's amazing he's gotten as much out of the quarterbacks as he's had at Oregon State because they haven't been that talented. And uh, you know, I think that they, and they have a very beneficial schedule in conference play. So I actually think Oregon State has a chance to win this season uh, and win the, literally win the Pac-12 this season. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I mentioned we talked about them when we previewed the Pac-12. I like their season. There was season win total at that time was eight and a half, and I'm definitely in favor of the eight and a half uh, over eight and a half for them. Uh, you're talking about the you know, future of these players. I would think for two reasons. One, I think they're all in this year, and uh, you know, I think that's a, a that's certainly a good thing for you know 2023. But you know whether they either are successful um let's say they are successful but maybe just you know kind of fall a little bit short uh or even if they don't uh i would imagine a lot of those guys are going to be looking to move on 
you know, a lot of the, they have a lot of seniors too. I will add that. You know, that's one of the reasons I like their team. Uh, so there are a lot of guys and legitimate seniors. Remember, we don't after this year in college sports. I'm pretty sure we don't have this sixth year senior thing anymore with the COVID year factoring in. I think that goes away after this, uh, you know, school year as far as you know basketball and football at least. I don't know about the other sports, but basketball and football, I'm pretty sure it goes away. But uh, yeah, I think it's you know Oregon State. Uh, even if they you know the the Pac-12 wasn't falling apart. I think this would be, you know, let's, you know, kind of the last roundup for at least this group of players, no matter what. And I think they have a talented group. Yeah, it's all in for 2023. And maybe they can use some, uh, you know, everyone always talks about bulletin board material. I don't know how much bulletin board material works or doesn't work, but maybe there is some bulletin board material here about how we've been left behind. Let's go prove something. Yeah, maybe, but I think they're already good. So I think that's mainly, I might be more for Washington State, but I don't think they're very good. (laughs) It's poll question time. On the other side of the break, we get into the KDOS1060.com poll question, as well as the Twitter poll question found at KDOSAM1060. We dive into it on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDOSAM1060. We'll do what's best for the team, and we'll do what's best for you. The Rich Eisen Show, coming to you weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's that time to get into the poll questions. So let's start things with the KDOS1060.com poll question here. Bob had a good conversation with George Wallace from WTOP about the Washington Commanders. So is it over under seven and a half wins for this Commanders team this year, Bob? I'm not going to bet this, but if I had to, I'd bet it over. I am interested in betting on some of their early season games, not just against the Cardinals, but you know they, they've. Uh, I'm curious to see how this team goes. Uh, and also, you know, I did all the schedule evaluating uh, for these for every NFL team during July, early part of July. Actually, I did uh, most of that. In fact, not all did all of it the week we were on vacation. And I don't think there's a team that I have less of an opinion on in their schedule itself than this team. If you just want to go by winning percentage, they have a, you know, not the best, they have cross divisions, etc. cetera. Uh, obviously in division, you know, they're picked to finish fourth. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm going to, I would be, I'm not sure if the giant, I think the giants are not good. Plus the giants, I they have a brutal schedule, especially compared to last year when they didn't. But, uh, Really, other than one stretch of one home game from November 19th through December the 31st uh, for Washington, I think they have a, a pretty manageable schedule. It just all comes down to the offensive line for me because I actually think Sam Hell is going to be a you know, more than capable NFL quarterback, maybe not this year. And if he's running for his life on a regular basis, maybe that doesn't matter whether I think he's any good or not. Uh, but if uh, they can just, you know, pass protect some, they seem to be much better run blockers. And Brian Robinson, an amazing story. I, you know, we should have, I should have brought this up with George. Uh, we talked about him briefly, but didn't bring up, you know, this is the guy that got shot 
last year, you know, right when the, you know, during, was that pre, pre-training, right before training camp or it was, you know, not a good time, you know, never a good time to be shot, but, uh, yeah, but he actually had some, he came back and was effective at some points of the season last year. And, uh, you know, I think he could be a pretty good player for them. Uh, I think that they've got plenty of offensive weapons if they can just pass protect because I think Hal can accurately throw the ball, unlike the next quarterback I'm going to, we're going to talk about. Uh, so I would think that over is a possibility, but I'm more interested as far as just betting uh, a week-to-week basis. I'm going to be closely following Washington because if they're any good early in the season, I think we can make some money before the odds maker or the betters you know, you know, adjust to the numbers. I will throw this out here that if you're considering the over, FanDuel actually is over six and a half wins. And when I checked this morning, it was plus money on the over side of things at six and a half wins. Uh, for me, Sam Howell, he's certainly a question mark here on what he can do. But you do have Terry McLaurin. You do have Johan Dotson. Uh, those are all really good wideouts. So there is some potential there. Uh, I don't know what's going on with the players and uh, their concern about Eric Bieniemy and his style and how uh, he's riding them too hard I, I think that that probably was something that should not have been addressed publicly whatsoever but here we are we know about it uh, so whether or not that's going to be an issue or something that they have to answer questions to moving on throughout the season um, Certainly week one uh, is a very viable option for them. Then I think uh, week two, three, and four could potentially be rough sledding for them. But then maybe things get a little bit uh, softer after uh, week five and beyond there for for the Commanders until they finish the season. Week 16 at the Jets, week 17 versus the 49ers, and week 18 versus the Cowboys. There's still an opportunity there for them, especially if that defense gets back on track, especially if you have Chase Young, who's uh, go, who's going into the season healthy here. And you also have the factor here uh, of uh, playing some of the AFC East teams. And if you don't believe in the hype of the Jets, if you don't believe in the turnaround of Mac Jones and Bill O'Brien with the Patriots, if you're getting a Week 13 team against the Dolphins, uh, whether or not Tua is going to be healthy or not, that that's who the commanders are playing this year is the, the AFC East. So I would say um, I like over six and a half wins better than seven and a half but i would say uh over here well that makes sense you get the best none where you can uh that's one of the few places on planet earth that it's six and a half from what i can tell when i did the consensus research yesterday over seven and a half wins at 53 percent of the vote under seven and a half wins at 47 percent so this has had a flip in the masses now being on the over side of things let's move into the twitter poll question at kdus am 1060 bob and i caught up with josh kendall of the athletic uh, if you missed that conversation you can podcast over at kdus 1060.com over under seven and a half wins for the atlanta falcons i look at this falcons team and i also have question marks about their quarterback play with Desmond Ritter how good is he going to be will there be growth from what we saw last season also can uh, they kind of 
get by with just average quarterback play? Is the running game going to carry them? Is the running game going to be good enough here? Uh, Are they going to be able to utilize Kyle Pitts and take advantage of his athleticism and his talent? Can the defensive side of the ball get better? I know that they made some moves to try to make sure that that happens. Uh, You know, Jeff Akuda, he's going to be a big key for them if they're if he's going to be able to start week one and be healthy when he starts. There's certainly some question marks here. Obviously, playing in the NFC South is helpful for this team. I think they're just they're, they're about a 500 team. That's what I think. I think they're actually the second best team in this division. Um, we'll see how this goes. And, you know, I'm trusting Desmond Ritter not to just short hop all his receivers, uh, which he did a lot of last year, quite frankly. They either short-hopped them or sailed above their heads. Uh, accuracy was a major problem, uh, you know, as, as we heard earlier in the, during the extra point. You know, he had uh, the second-worst accuracy in the league in the four games that he started at the end of the season last year. And uh, that, uh, you know, those numbers back up the eye test. You know, he was throwing balls all over the place except to his excellent receiving core. Meanwhile, I think that they do have... Uh, a soft start to the schedule. I think they get off to a good start. Yeah, the the first eight games included in those first eight games are Carolina, which is going to be Young's first start, Green Bay, which is going to be Love's second start, but that's going to be Love's. You know, they're on the road, so we'll see how that goes. They also play Houston, Washington, at Tampa Bay, and at Tennessee. Those are all amongst their first eight games of the season. They have a rough schedule stretch at the end with three of the last four games on the road. And uh, one of those games is in a cold weather situation in Chicago. Dome team on the road, not good. Uh, also, the last game of the season's at New Orleans. And I think the New Orleans will have the division clinch by that point. But they could be fighting for a wild card spot or, you know, not a wild card spot, but a division playoff uh, positioning spot. So we'll see how that goes. But. Yeah, another team I would fact favor on the overside, not going to bet it, but another team very similar to Washington. I'm curious to see how this goes early, and I think we can maybe take advantage of some uh, numbers that aren't completely accurate from the odds makers or the betters uh, early in the year. Uh, the masses remain in a 50-50 split between over-under seven and a half wins. Just some prop numbers for you. Desmond River, Ritter over 2,500 and a half yards minus 112. Bijan Robinson in his rookie season over-under 1,075 and a half rushing yards minus 112. Drake London over 800 and a half yards minus 112. And Kyle Pitts over-under 675 and a half yards minus 112. I'll add one quick thing. If uh, Bijan's not their leading ball carrier, which we kind of think might happen with Algier, uh, he's going to touch. You know, if, if I could get a Bijan touches prop, I'd be much more interested in them in a rushing yards prop, which I think is shaky at best. I forgot to do the commanders. Uh, so Brian Robinson, you mentioned running back there over 725 and a half yards over under minus 112. Terry McLaurin over 750 and a half yards minus 112. Johan Dotson over under 700 and a half yards minus 112 for the commanders. They didn't have any numbers listed for Sam Howell as of yet. We wrap up our number uh, two and this entire edition of Extra Point on this Wednesday, August 9th on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060.
Carving out time in your afternoon for the Doug Gottlieb Show right here on KDUS AM 1060, 100.7 HD2, and KDUS1060.com. Weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Wrapping up this Wednesday, August 9th edition of Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. Up until noon today, as we typically do, Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. But it's that time once again, Bob. It is thank you time. Okay, quickly, uh, you know, if you need to be thanked, you all know who you are, even though I would like to thank. Uh, well, we have a commander's preview with George Wallace from WTOP and also a Falcons preview with Josh Kendall from The Athletic. Tomorrow, scheduled to preview the Giants at 9.15 and the Saints at 10.15. Sound of the day, courtesy of Fox. Uh, NFL Network, also Major League Baseball, and uh, LAL, LAL? Uh, 680, uh, Atlanta, sorry, ATL, 680 AM in Atlanta. And Kayla is going to tell us what's coming up next. Up next from noon to 1 o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the Doug Gottlieb Show from 1 to 3, the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, and the Sports U with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6 tonight. Speaking of tonight, the Diamondbacks are hosting the Dodgers. Bobby Miller going up against Merrill Kelly. dbacks.com slash watch to uh, find out what channel best suits you. Also... Uh, ESPN and Penn Entertainment are going to be launching ESPN Bet this fall. It's a $2 billion deal, will operate in 16 states. I'm not sure which 16 states are going to operate it just yet. Uh, But Dave Portnoy, founder of Barstool Sports, has since reacquired the company uh, Barstool Sportsbook from Penn Entertainment in order for this Penn Entertainment and ESPN collaboration to take place. So uh, everyone was wondering when ESPN would get involved and now they have ESPN Bet launching this fall. That'll do it for... That'll do it for this edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Everyone have yourselves a fantastic Wednesday. Looking forward to Thursday. Talk to you then.